Welcome to the podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. This show is sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at Gemmer.com. Hi, everyone. It's Martin Willis from the Antique Auction Podcast, and it has been a while since um, I have done a show. I apologize for that. Hopefully, we'll have um, a, a little bit closer times between podcasts. Um, today's guest is an interesting guest. She moved uh, from the East Coast out to the West Coast and started an estate sale, and I guess she's doing pretty well, and we're going to talk to her about all aspects of that. And uh, Lisa Crucy is her name. How are you, Lisa? I'm doing great. Thank you. How did I do with your last name? Was it? You did close? superb. It was perfect. Okay. <laughs> so, Lisa, um, you have an estate sale business. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're pretty busy. And um, I'm going to mispronounce the name. You're in uh, Tehachapi, California. Tehachapi, California. Yep. Uh-huh. I'm in a, in a small town in California. We moved out here um, going on about six years ago now, right before my first daughter was born. Um, and what part yeah. of California is that? We're north of LA. Um, it can take me anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours to get to LA, depending on you know traffic. Traffic, yeah. Um, so we're near Mojave because my husband works in aerospace. So um, you know he is a software engineer, um, specifically working in air, aerospace software. Um, so, you know, that's as, as small town as Mojave is, it's a big town for aerospace. So that's right here. Um, so how did you, um, spark an interest in, uh, how did an interest spark in you as far as, um, doing these estate sales and antiques and vintages and things like that? Well, I had always had, um, you know, an interest. My mom is, is one of those, you know, we would stop at estate sales and garage sales and everything like that. You know, she would be, we would be out even when I was in high school and, you know, from a mile away, she could spot a sign, you know, and say, Oh, there's a sale. (laughs) Um, so we would go to them when I was young. And, and so I think a lot of people, you know, are exposed to either, the business, you know, from their parents or from shopping at sales from their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went to school, I went to, I have a degree in fine art. Um, well, and that's then, helpful. yeah, yeah. And then after school, um, one of my first jobs was working for a regional auction house. Um, and I worked there for about a year and then I started doing appraisals, um, so I had a background, you know, where I knew how to value things. When you work at an auction house, you see a lot of um, property. You know, That's I worked right. in the paintings and sculpture department, but, you know, of course, you're setting up the catalog and you're reading the catalogs and you're at the sales and you see, you know, gosh, wow, there's like one, there's a plate that somebody just paid $1,200 for, you know? <laughs> you know, there's, there's, uh, I've been at a number of auction facilities and out in California as well and uh, Oakland at Clark's Auction Gallery out there, very busy place. And there's, I, I find that you work with two different types of people in an auction hall, and one of them is someone like you and like myself that really loves it and mm-hmm. pays attention and sees what's happening, you know, with prices, what things are going for, and have a curiosity why something sells for what it sells for. And right. then the the other type of worker is a nine to five job, and um, if they're they get involved in cataloging, they have to look something up every single time. You know, what I mean, and it's right. I, I think it's uh, 
much more favorable. I mean, I I love the business, and I think it's a lot easier if you love something to um, to absorb it. Yeah, well, I've always been interested in you know kind of the history. Like, I like history, the history of objects, mm-hmm. um, you know, and finding out what things you know, survive and pass down from generation to generation, um, what things are worth restoring and saving. Um, you know, I had one set of, um, Chinese nesting cups that I had sold. There was a set of 10 nesting cups. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a very old repair in them. Um, and the, re- the repair could hold water. Um, and apparently it didn't really seem to hurt the value They they sold for over $5,000 in an online auction. Wow. Um, so it, it's very interesting to me, you know, those kinds of, um, you know, details where when I'm coming across something like that and then, you know, discovering, okay, well, is this worth nothing now because it has a repair? Oh, but the repair is really old and that's interesting to people. And um, so, yeah, the history of things and you just never know. It, doing estates, you know, you see all, like working at the auction house, I really was specialized working in paintings and sculptures. Um, but doing estates, you come across, you know, all kinds of things. And, you know, part of being a, an expert estate seller is not just that, you know, everything, but you just kind of recognize when you pick something up, um, you know, there's a fine craftsmanship that you mm-hmm. can admire. And even if you're not say a rug expert or a textile expert, um, then you can kind of start to find out who can tell you about this, you know, who is the person who's obsessed with textiles? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, going back to repairs, I, I kind of like some of what they call the Victorian repairs when they used wire or, what, yeah. or, or yeah. staple, they call them staple, you know, staple right. repairs. They make it interesting, but I, I had spoken one time to someone that said if something's rare enough, uh, damage is not the end of the world. Right. You know? Like they yeah. just have to have that example as an unknown, you know, they will pay $5,000 for a set of cups or something like that. So, right. yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So, um, I agree when you're doing estate sales, it's like you have to know a little bit about everything that was ever made everywhere, um, from the beginning of time till now, Right. <laughs> just enough to get your curiosity going. And like you said, um, it never hurts to reach out to a specialist um, so you don't make mistakes. Right. Yeah. And I'll always talk to my clients, you know, if I find something that it's not within my realm of expertise, you know, when I have jewelry, I work with a lady in, in my area that's GIA, you know, mm-hmm. um, certified. And then, so I, I take, you know, I can test gold or diamonds, but I can't grade them. You know, I can't grade diamonds or I can't tell the difference between an aquamarine and a topaz. Um, so things like that, you know, it's worthwhile for me to, you know, as the person selling it, I pay her to, to tell me what those things are. Um, and that come, you know, you come across that fairly typically, but then sometimes you come across something, you know, where you're not quite sure who is the right person in your area, you know, mm-hmm. um, or maybe it's not going to be your area. Maybe you're in California and you need to talk to somebody in Boston. And my clients are always very patient about that and understand, you know, they would rather, um, you know, wait a little while than have somebody that just kind of thinks, well, you know, somebody's going to figure out what this is, but it's going to go in my sale and maybe they're getting a great deal. Um, I just have to empty this place out. Um, you know, my clients really 
choose me because they know that I'm going to care about really finding out what those things are, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is impossible, and like um, like you said, and, you know, if there wasn't a deal at yard sales or estate sales or an auction, you know, there would be a lot less people uh, going to them if there wasn't, you know, right. the idea that people can get a deal. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I want people to get deals, but I don't want, you know, the nightmare, you know, scenario, of course, the Billy the Kid photo recently that somebody bought for $2, <laughs> You know, um, yep. that's your nightmare, you know, as an estate seller is you, you're going through an estate and uh, of course it would be totally understandable that you would miss something like that. You know, I mean, unless it says on it, this is a photo of Billy the kid. Um, you know, mm-hmm. how many people ha- have an exact image in their mind of, of what he would look like and that there's even, you know, a missing photo of him somewhere. Right, right. Um, now, as far as um, there, there's a lot of examples like that. When, and this is why um, I always try to get across the notion that someone should hire a professional one way or another because there are people that make a very good living off of people's mistakes. So I'm not saying that an expert can't make a mistake, but it's a lot less likely. And, right. Um, I was in California a number of years ago, and waiting for an estate sale to open, standing next to a woman. And I said, wow, you're a professional. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, what was your best deal? And she bought a five and a half carat diamond solitaire for 10 cents. <laughs> you know, and that's that's someone making a pretty big blooper right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the mistakes that are, I I think, pretty unforgivable if you're hiring somebody else to do your sale for you. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Yeah. Um, it, it should be pretty easy to distinguish, um, those kinds of things. It's, it's not expensive to get diamond testing and gold testing kits. Um, and then, like I said, for me, I, I just pay somebody when I have, you know, any, anything out of the ordinary, um, I just bring it to somebody and get their, get their rundown on it. And it, it does not cost me very much, particularly because I use them very frequently. Um, you know, so there's just no reason for that. And I, one of the things that I'm doing now too, is I have, um, estatefusion.com. So I'm working with people who are kind of breaking into doing estate sales and coaching them and teaching them, you know, things like that, you know, don't oh, be wonderful. the person who makes that mistake. You're on the East coast. You moved to the West coast. You were expecting a child or you had young children and how the, the question everybody needs or would like to know, I would think is, how do you land your first one, your first estate sale? Yeah, um, it was very interesting for me because I was um, pregnant when we moved here. I was going into my last trimester, and you know I was planning to stay at home with my daughter. Um, and after about four months, um, and we moved completely across the country, so I didn't have family or friends here. Um, but after four months, I, I really needed something to do, you know? Um, so then I talked to my husband and we decided that, you know, I would open a state sale business. And since I knew nobody, it would just take forever for me to get any jobs, um, was what we thought, but I wrote up a business plan and, you know, I was targeting to do one estate sale every month in my first year. Um, and then of course I had no idea how will I do that? So I started just, you know, 
telling people, you know, anybody that I knew um, that I was opening an estate sale company, ask them, do they know people in the area that do this? Do they know people that could need it? Um, so my realtor, she was like, you know, my best friend in Tehachapi at that point because I had spent so much time with her um, looking for my house. So I called her um, and told her about it. And then my husband um, my husband was teasing me when we left this this event where his boss, the owner of his company, had invited um, his employees over to his house because he was selling his house and moving away. And then there I was in his kitchen, you know, with his wife saying, well, if you're moving, you know, you really should consider hiring me to do an estate sale mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't had any clients yet. <laughs> um, so it's just those kinds of things is you have to put yourself out there. And hopefully for a lot of people, they're not going to be in that scenario where they know maybe only two or three people. Um, but even with that, I still was able to, you know, put together, I put together a professional website. Um, people find us online because, you know, let's say, your mom lives, you know, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and, you know, you live in Miami, Florida, um, then you're going to start searching for people and chances are you might be doing an online search. Um, so having a good website, a good professional website is important. Um, and that's, you know, estate, and then, that's expertestates.com, right? Yeah. My website is expertestates.com. Um, and I put that together, you know, um, at first, at first I used one of the, um, estate sale advertising companies to do, they do a very affordable program. Um, both of them, estatesales.org and estatesales.net will both do programs, um, where they'll do a website for you. Um, the thing I don't like about that is then your advertising where, you know, in their frames where they have this pictures and everything, it goes back to their websites. Right. So if somebody, if I'm building my email list, um, you know, as I was building my email list and sending out links to my emails, then at the bottom of my page with my sale, then they're clicking on that. And then they're, before you know it, they're, you know, looking at all the other sales in Santa Clarita too. Um, so that's why I decided to then do my own website where, you know, when I send out an email, they're contained on my site, you know, not, not to say that they don't know about or don't find other people's estate sales, but you know, it just makes it a little bit easier for them to keep mine at the top of their list. And how important is an email list for doing estate sales? It's important, you know, you need to develop your, you know, buyers, your active buyers, your VIP people. Um, Obviously, when you first start, you basically have no list. So, you know, you can't be going on consults telling people like now I go on consults and I say I have an email list of a thousand subscribers. Um, You know, I have a thousand people on my Facebook page. Um, but when you're starting out, you know, you might have, you know, you might have 45 people who are your friends and family or something like that. Um, so you can't, you know, kind of lead with that, but as you build your business, um, it's very nice because you can pick up last minute sales, you know, you don't have to rely on big, you know, advanced advertising, you know, to get things in. If you missed a deadline, I had one lady that had, um, uh, she, she was the realtor, um, and the family, you know, all of a sudden just really needed to, to liquidate a bunch of the property that was in the estate to be able to pay association bills and things like that. Uh, and there was no power and they needed to like 
you know, yesterday. So having a list, you can just right away, you know, tell people you have this last minute opportunity to hurry up and come over and buy all this great stuff. Mm. Um, Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So it is good. And it, it, it takes time, you know, to build a list, but if you're, if you, at your sales, you know, bring your list and then, and particularly, you know, create a VIP list, you're really good buyers, you know, put them down separately. So when you have, you know, a lady that, you know, buys lots of gold and diamonds, um, you know, when you have a sale with that, then you can call her specifically. The one thing that kind of burns uh, me sometimes I, I get pretty upset about if something's advertised and, an estate sale or garage sale, yard sale, whatever it is, they let people in early. What's your early bird policy? I don't do pre-sales generally. Once in a while, I will do one if I have so much property in the estate that I really need to do an extra day. Um, But if I do a pre-sale, I'll mention it in my my online ad saying, you know, there's a pre-sale, so please contact me if you'd like to come to the pre-sale. Um, so typically my sales don't, I don't have that happening. Um, so I see that's, that's good. I I like that policy. All right. So the, the question I have is uh, going through this. I actually helped someone out there in the West coast, um, starting their first estate sale. And I know you can't think of everything. It's really hard. Do you, um, have a suggestion for someone as far as like a list? Can they find that on your website or the Fusion website you mentioned earlier? Yeah, on Estate Fusion, I have um, well, I have a couple of different things. I have um, blog posts. So one of the blog posts I would recommend is you know eleven things I wish I knew when I opened. <laughs> um, and then I have another one I wrote recently that was um, three questions to ask before you start. Um, you know, things to think about that you don't really think about until you're doing this, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then in terms of, you know, kind of work, walking people through like a first sale, you know, every sale really is unique, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to say like, oh, well, this is exactly what you have to do. I do have the estate sale DIY book, um, which is on Amazon and, if you really haven't done estate sales as a business, I really wrote that book for a family that, you know, would need to maybe do their own sale for some reason. Um, but I do have checklists in that book. Um, and if you're a member on estate fusion, you get a copy of that book as well. Um, so I, it was written for like a family, like a complete outsider that, you know, needs step-by-step instructions of what to do. Um, because sometimes, you know, we can't do every estate sale or sometimes people have a sale and it comes up too fast or, you know, maybe their family has whatever reason, skeletons in their closet and they don't want somebody else going through their parents' things. Who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of reasons why people want to do or have to do their own sale. Um, so I would say the estate sale DIY book would be a good, um, affordable, um, entry point if you really are starting out and maybe you don't have experience in the business, um, and don't know, you know, really what exactly to do. Um, and I talked to people about how to, you know, find an appraiser to help them. Like if you really, really don't know about pricing and things like that, you know, then I would recommend, having an appraiser help you with doing a review and a walkthrough. Um, you know, and I do, and that's something that I do, I do for families, you know, sometimes I meet with people and, 
they don't really have enough, you know, for a full estate or something like that. Or maybe they just have some things that are left. The family has taken most things or something like that. Um, I'll walk through and help them pricing, you know, their estate, um, you know, as a consultant. Um, I just see no reason why I wouldn't help them, you know, with something like that. So right. they might be able to even find a liquidator in their area. Um, probably not if they're starting a business, but if they're just a family trying to do their own sale, um, <clears throat> a lot of people will help them with things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one of the things, you know, people ask a lot of times is, um, what do I do with things that don't sell? You know, mm-hmm. Like I, I know a lot of estate sales, you know, sometimes they can only sell like 30, 40, 50, 60 percent of the items. And then there's everything left. Um, is that where donations come in? Yeah, I, I typically work with, um, you know, kind of a lot of different options that I have. Um, I do donations of, of some items, but I also do, you know, kind of package wholesale buyouts for, for folks. Like I have, you know, certain people who maybe they have a thrift store or a furniture store or something like that. And then they could get one price, you know, for maybe say all the clothes or all the whatever, you know, at the end of my sale or the day after the sale. Um, so developing a list of, you know, buyout people is a good idea. Um, and then, you know, I also have a, a storefront location, so I can consign items, you know, that are particularly high-end. You know, one of my last estate sales, I had a, a Rolex watch. The highest offer I had for that was $250. Well, oh, we put boy. it on eBay, and it sold for, you know, more than $1,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I think that, you know, the highest offer that I'm getting is, you know, a quarter of what I could get, if I put it in a 10 day eBay auction, for example, or bring it to my store for a week, um, I have that option available, um, to my clients. So, um, and I do that all completely as consignment. I don't do that as a buyout, um, or anything like that. Um, yeah. so, so they there's like, a, there's the trust factor, which really helps when you're, when you're doing something on consignment. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, and then anything, you know, I always tell people, well, yeah, at that point, if you've done, you know, buyout, consignment, donation, um, pretty much anything left over after that is trash. Right. Now, what about the other end of the spectrum when something probably should go to auction? How do you handle that? I broker it to auction for my clients. Um, my one estate sale that I did over the summer, um, in July, they had um, two paintings and one violin that are all going to auction. One of the, two of the paintings have sold and the violin still has to get out there because when I first sent that out for an estimate, the auction house um, didn't think that it was right. Um, that's the other thing is when you're getting estimates and stuff from, from auctioneers, um, you know, if they're not familiar with you or, or something like that, a lot of times they'll tend to think, oh, this can't be anything. Um, you know, I've had people write back and say, oh, that's a replica um, when it wasn't or vice versa, have people think that something was authentic, um, when it was in fact a replica. So you have to, you know, know before you're kind of relying on a, on a virtual, um, auction estimate. Um, it's different if you bring something, you know, in person for an expert to examine, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but even that, if you're in a regional area, um, when I worked for that regional auction house, sometimes, we would get people that would bring something in with a letter from Christie saying, you know, your painting is worth $4,000. And they would say, oh, but we want to consign it to you. 
And I would say, oh, right, but except it's not a painting, you know, <laughs> it's a print. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I've, I've actually had a situation where I had an, a, an artist that I just happened to know a lot about because I owned his estate at one time. Mm-hmm. But I had, um, you know, Christie's uh, said no, it was not by the artist, and I ended up um, getting it, um, the original curator, to look at it. And he said he remembered, you know, the painting in the gallery. So um, right. yeah. I, the only reason I'm saying that is that everyone makes mistakes. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's Christie's, Sotheby's. Or, yeah. or the little auction house, um, anyone can make a mistake. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And until you see something in hand, it's really um, images are hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, you know, where I, I would get something from the granddaughter of, an, of a famous artist, and then, you know, the auction house thinks that it's not right. And it's just because, well, they, had, they hadn't heard of me before or something like that. So they're just presuming that it's a reproduction because lots of, you know, famous, there are lots of reproductions, you know. Um, so it can be one of those things. So you do have to know, you know, what you do actually. You have to be able to know if what you have is special or um, – and the same thing with, with things that are replicas. You know, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, ship it out to us. And then after they get it, then they'll say, um, you know, oh, whoops, this is a replica. And then you've already spent money on shipping. I had a travel poster one time that um, – I was like, wow, this is a really beautiful poster. And, you know, it was behind glass and I got an estimate. Um, and then I was like, well, before I ship it, I'm just going to take it out of the frame, you know. And then lo and behold, I pop it out of the frame and it's, you know, hidden by the by the mat. It's, you know, copyright 1991 or something like that. Wow. So, boy, you dodged um, a bullet there. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> rather than having shipped this huge travel poster, you know, to an auction house, and then they surely would have, you know, once they got it there, would have known because it, I'm sure it wasn't the right dimensions. You know, everything has, they know exactly how much dimensions it's, you know, the, the cut, the sheet size and all that other stuff. Right. Um, so I'm sure they would have known right away. Um, but I didn't have, you know, I don't have every single book on every single subject. So, um, you know, so I thought, let me just pop this out and check. And then lo and behold, <laughs> now, do, you've been doing this for how many years now? Um, well, I graduated from college in 1994. Um, and that's when I started doing, you know, first I worked for a gallery, then I worked for the auction house. Um, I did appraisals for about 10, 15 years. Um, and now I've been doing estate sales for five years. Five years. Um, okay. That's yeah. what I was going to ask because I, Wonder, do you have any stories of any really great finds that you've uh, found in a home that people had absolutely no idea what they had? Yeah, um, we did have one painting that we found where it was, um, you know, it was in the garage. His dad had um, purchased it at a garage sale, and he just had it in a box in a garage, uh, you know, and it was kind of getting, you know, eaten by bugs and different things. And I said, well, this is a nice painting, you know, um, we sent it to John Moran. I forget who oh, it yeah. was sold for like $8,000. Pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was nice. Another time I found, um, a Moroccan Frank, um, which that, that, that was worth, I think about $1,600. Um, cause the, the currency, sometimes old currency, you know, if the, if it was a country that, maybe they were only printing money for five years or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So in that particular case, the family wanted to keep it because their mom um, was from Morocco. So it was sentimental to them. So I gave it back to them, but I was very excited to find that it was in an old savings book. Um, All right. So you're in an estate. This has happened to me before. 
mm-hmm. being in the auction business for many years. And um, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you come across a pile of money um, that no one knew existed in a shoebox or something like that. What do you do? Um, we have a line item on our contract where we put, you know, cash found on site. Um, and then, so if it's, you know, $450 or $1,300 or five cents or, you know, whatever it is, um, we put that in our contract and give that back to the family. Um, some liquidators I know do take a percentage or a finder's fee. Um, I have a hidden treasures clause in my contract. So it really, what I, my philosophy is that I, I'm, I'm there to sell their objects. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I find, you know, a ring or a coin collection or borrow gold or something like that, I would be able to liquidate that. Um, so those are the kinds of, we're looking for cash too, because we want to return it to the family. I just feel that it generates a lot of goodwill. Um, Absolutely. You know, when, yeah, when they're interviewing with me and I'm looking at the estate, I'm thinking about what things can I liquidate, you know, when cash is already liquid, you know, I don't, right. I don't have to liquidate that. <laughs> there is a percentage of people in the country at all given times where they have all of a sudden a state plopped on their lap. Um, where it's their mother, grandparents, or whatever, and they have a lot of decisions to make. Um, where do you suggest someone get started to try to make a decision as an estate sale for me? Yeah, um, I would recommend, you know, talking to, I, I think getting referrals is always great. So, you know, if you have an attorney, um, realtors a lot of times know who are good estate sellers in your area. There's the American Society of Estate Liquidators, um, and I think there are some other membership-type groups like that that are forming now. That's right. Because uh, mm-hmm. there are a lot of, you know, the industry, a lot of people are starting to do it now that didn't do it before. Um, and then I would recommend that the families, you know, contact people, and usually we'll do a free consult. I mean, some people, I think, charge for a consultation, but most of us will do a free consultation. So um, I go out and and for free, take a look and see if I think that I can help a family with a sale. And, um, you know, if I think that I don't, or they don't have enough, you know, I'm a good problem solver. I try to figure out how I can, if, if they want to do their own sale, if I can price it for them, or if they should just do a donation, um, you know, to get a tax write off some families that they're perfectly fine with that. Um, you know, so there are a lot of different ways of, you know, liquidating it. And then same thing, like if you're hiring somebody who really is an expert and really is good, if you have all kinds of different things or high end things, um, you know, we can help direct things to where they should go. Like I said, where, you know, when I work with somebody, if I find something that belongs in an auction, I can get it out, get it to the auction, handle all that negotiation of the contracts and, you know, setting reserves and, the family doesn't have experience doing that, you know, so um, it's it's just much easier just to pick somebody that is good and knows what they're doing and just be able to let them take care of it. You know, that's a, it's a full-time job for us. Right, right. And I've said this line before. There's, always, there's a lot of times there's trust factors. Now, when you're selling at a percentage, it's a lot easier because you're just getting a, a, a piece of the pie and you're not in there, you know, trying to buy anything and – you know, it's kind of it boils down to the fact that someone, whoever it is that needs to liquidate, um, they're going to have to trust someone sooner or later. And mm-hmm. so why not, uh, you know, trust someone that's out there and that's reputable? And in right. today's world, there's um, 
there's a lot less secrets. You can find information on a business. Um, and it's not always correct, but for a, a lot of times you can find reviews and mm. um, that, you know, will will make a difference. Well, right. okay, so yeah. your company, um, the, actually your website, that is, is expertestates.com. And um, mm-hmm. it's been a real pleasure, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks. And for other folks that are interested in learning more about the business, I also have estatefusion.com. Wonderful. All right. Thank Thank you you very much and uh, happy hunting. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast at antiqueauctionforum.com. This show was sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at gemmer.com.